welcome to another mini-sode, or what we like to call a niche-ode. Or niche-sode. Niche-ode. Niche-sode. Where we bring a greater variety of our favorite niche topics for your listening pleasure. We are your hosts, Dulce. And Unity. And today's topic is about prominent poisons throughout history. Uh, we're still going to argue about that, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> but you know, it's okay. We're going to keep that. We're going to keep that with every intro. It's going to be niche-ode. No, it's niche-sode. It's okay. It's endearing. I will never stop and I will never surrender. Neither will I. Fight <laughs> to the death. <laughs> so, anyways, um, our niche-ode. <laughs> so, you know how we record... Um, pretty much two episodes in a session, but, mm-hmm. um, this will technically come out a week after, uh, the next episode, which, you know, I'm kind of sad the next, the main episode came, will be coming out right about the time of when Mardi Gras, technically it is Mardi Gras today, today, Tuesday, <laughs> but the episode will be coming out later. So, a for those that didn't know, Mardi Gras means fat Tuesday. Mm-hmm. It is a Catholic holiday. It is a day to go buck wild and do everything that you want to do because starting tomorrow is Lent where you are supposed to give up. You know, typically you give up a couple of things and sacrifice to God, but then some people take it very seriously. Yes. You know, you give up all pleasures of life for 40 days and remembrance of Christ. And is 40 days in the desert and then ends on Easter Sunday, which always falls on a Sunday, of course. Now, Mardi Gras is related around a big Christian holiday, right? Lent. So, but it also originates in France, doesn't it? It's celebrated all over the world. True. You know, Brazil is very well known for their festivities, New Orleans. But it's very much a Catholic holiday um, and not very much celebrated by Catholics because I don't know any actual Catholics that go buck wild on Mardi Gras like I've seen (laughs) New Orleans and uh, Brazil do. But, you know, historically, that was the whole purpose of it was to allow people to live up to their last minute, uh, what do you call, their endeavors, their... I think it depends on the culture. Niches. At least France. They were like, hey, indulge while you can until you have to give it up. You also, um, you're supposed to not eat meat on Fridays. And that was supposedly based on some random decision that they made, you know, a long time ago because meat was scarce. So they're like, hey, what if we gave up meat on Fridays and promoted fish so that fish sellers would make some more money and then it stuck for the next hundred couple of years. And now we know. Mm-hmm. You know, another fun little thing that I saw whenever I went up to Chattanooga uh, the other weekend, uh, there was this nice little coffee shop that we that we like and they actually had King's Cake. Do you remember that in French class? Yes. Yeah. King's Cake is, uh, I forgot what it's made of, but that it, that goes along with the Mardi Gras theme, right? Um, they put this little baby, so typically it'll be like a statue. Current day, it's like a little plastic toy that's a baby. And whoever gets the piece with the baby and the cake, they have to bring the king's cake the next Mardi Gras session. Mm-hmm. I know there's like different cultures do a couple different things. It's a little plastic baby. You try really hard not to swallow it. Yes. It is a choking hazard for children. 
It's not a party if there isn't a choking hazard. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> my god. So anyway, should Speaking we... of choking. <laughs> yeah, should we get into the episode? <laughs> Our episode today focuses a little on another choking hazard, poison. Hey. How poison has played a part throughout human history. A so, brief overview. Yep. A brief overview of historical poisons. And we, of course, have to talk about Shakespeare, the renowned English poet that we all were focused and forced to read in high school. Oh, my God. It was always miserable. What was it? Sophomore year of high school? We had to listen to the audio and we had to watch the movies, the old movies of them. I remember I always fell asleep. But then I went through my um, more emo teenager phase and Hamlet was like every anime character. He sounded hot. You I'm went not going to lie. You went through your Edgar Allan Poe Hamlet gothic was hot. phase. I like a bad boy. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> you know what? Me and everybody else... I feel like everybody else, okay, uh, relied religiously on modern translations to understand what the heck this guy was saying. Uh, shout out to Sparknotes. Hell yeah. <laughs> In most of Shakespeare's work, poison plays a major role, right? Poisons and potions are the weapons of choice for many of Shakespeare's most iconic characters. They were used to seduce lovers, kill enemies, and gain power. Nothing was too noxious for Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. This guy, I'm telling you. For instance, in the final act of Romeo and Juliet, we all know this one, our tragic heroine takes a potion to fake her own death and place her into a catatonic state. Many believe the potion is most likely to be deadly nightshade, a trope of belladonna, and if you listen to one of our previous episodes, you know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This plant is native to Europe. The dose would be very low, of course, to put her in a catatonic state without killing her. And also to put in just a little note there, one, a single berry could possibly kill a small child. It is that strong. Woohoo! <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised that people in Europe weren't dropping like flies. I'm pretty sure they did a lot. But you know what? Again, it's that same theory of, I watched this guy go try it out and see what happens, and then I learned from their mistakes. But it sounds like they were basically living a bunch of around a bunch of deadly plants, trying to take them out. And you know, children, um, you know, children are always trying to kill themselves. So I'm surprised we made it this far to begin with. Oh yeah, and then they cr created friendly little reminders, telling kids like, "Hey, you eat this berry; it's the devil's berry. You'll meet the devil if you eat it. So watch what you eat randomly." But we didn't. Therefore, bore folklore. Therefore, why this podcast exists because. They didn't. I don't know. If we're, <laughs> <laughs> we are here today because. <laughs> if you tell someone not to eat that because it's poisonous, they're going to eat it. I mean, because you told me not to, psychologically speaking, I want to. Yeah, because I want to know if it's true or not. Well, yeah. Anyway, so upon finding Juliet, right, Romeo believing her to be dead... He uses a more powerful, fast-acting poison to take his own life because, of course, an obvious choice for such a strong po poison is potassium cyanide or the medieval monk's hood, both of which cause rapid respiratory failure. Then in Hamlet, your favorite, mm -hmm. King Hamlet, father to Prince Hamlet, and uh, brother hottie. to Claudius. What? Hottie. Oh my gosh. Hottie, thottie. <laughs> anyway... 
Hamlet dies, seemingly in his sleep, but the young prince soon discovers that poison in the ear was in fact the cause. And somebody had betrayed King Hamlet. Da-da-da-da! By pouring poison in his ear while he was sleeping. And then the ghost of Hamlet's father, which, you know, is where interpretation comes along. Was it a ghost? Was it a demon wanting to bring about the demise of Hamlet and his entire family? The world may never know. Because if it was truly the ghost of his father, why would he put his son on such a doomed quest? I mean, he wouldn't be the first asshole parent. I'm just saying. (laughs) Or he was a demon pretending to be King Hamlet. You know? The endless possibilities. Mm-hmm. So, funny enough, scientists and scholars have all wondered what Shakespeare meant by cursed Hebanon, which was the poison used in to poison Hamlet. There may be few possibilities, including hemlock, nightshade, yew, ebony, and henbane. So, are we trying those next week? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, tune in as we taste test a flute flight. There we go. A flight of poisons. <laughs> so going on to our next section of poisons. Um, if you keep up like the, uh, with the news like I do, hey. poisons have been widely used for political murders. Fun. You know, most recently in 2020, there was the um, Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny. I hope I pronounced that correctly. He survived being poisoned by a Novichok nerve agent in 2020 and then accused Russian President Vladimir Putin of trying to murder him because he was a spokesperson for the Russian opposition. He was trying to show the world how corrupt Putin was. Please don't send Russian spies after me. You know, I feel like that's a really bold move. Whether that's a political reason of saying, like, I'm trying to point out this guy's a really bad guy. Or if you're just trying to actually point them out because they legitimately tried to poison you. Either way, that's a big move, my guy. You survive for a reason. Maybe just keep quiet. No, he pointed it out. And then they poisoned him. So he's like, see, I was right. Uh, These are bad people. Look at, they literally just tried to kill me and they didn't die. He's on a path. Okay, I get it. But unfortunately, he is now in Russian prison because they had, you know, Russia. They had to find something to get him with. Or, um, but they could have killed him if they wanted to. But it would have attracted way too much attention because when he was arrested, there was mass protests held all across Russia. So we'll see what happens next. Yikes. Uh, But his is not the only prominent poisoning in history. Ooh, do tell. One of the most famous cases was in 1978, that of Georgi Markov, a Bulgarian descendant, dissident, sorry, who was working with the BBC. And on his way to work one day, he was minding his own business when he was jabbed in the leg by an umbrella. So he's like, what the heck, man? And the guy walked away with his umbrella. I don't think he really said anything. And he's just like, okay, guy, I guess I'm just going to work. Man, they super spied that guy. Jeez. Because he ended up dying of septicemia, a form of blood poisoning. And as he was dying, as, as you know, poison doesn't act quickly you can leave you in horrible pain for a couple days before it finally takes you you know Mm -hmm. to the sweet mercy of the debt of death by that point you're praying for death 
And he was saying, hey, right before I started to die, I got jabbed in the leg by an umbrella. And it started this worldwide um, scandal of, was he poisoned? And they did. They did find a mark on his leg, a little pin pinprick, and discovered a tiny metal pellet in Mr. Markov's leg. So three days after his death, they ruled that his death was a result of a poison-tipped umbrella. Wow. Horrifying. Yeah? But I kind of want an umbrella like that. Self-defense. <laughs> Self-defense! <laughs> oh, no. Is that what we're going to call it? Is that what we're going <laughs> to... Okay. All right. So, that, that is an interesting way to go. I'm just saying. that That's some crazy spy shit, okay? That's some 007... And speaking of even more interesting cases with poisons, you know, poisons are very well associated with cults, Ooh. either in history or modern cults, because cults, that seems that's their thing. Poison. Yeah. I mean, I think every cult story that I've ever heard is talking about either poisoning other people or poisoning themselves so mm -hmm. they can reach the ultimate destination together. So, I guess, quick honorable mention, the Rajneeshis. Uh, in, the, um, in the 1980s, this cult, I, I, you know, cult is such a word that's overused, but I mean, what else are you going to call it, right? I mean, yeah. It was a group of people all dressed the same color, following some dude with a long beard and an obsession with Rolls Royces, which is an extremely expensive car. This dude not had, didn't have just one. He had several of them. And they moved into a sleepy town in Oregon, where they would then proceed to cause absolute chaos because they said, hey, we want to have more political power in Oregon, in our sleepy little town. And the way that we are choosing to do that is by trying to poison the entire town and all of its council members. As one does in a cult. So their first attempt was uh, spraying salmonella oh. onto doorknobs of the council um, building. And obviously that didn't work because people washed their hands like they should. You nasty. That's so unique because, you know, I'll be honest, salmonella is the, the only time I've ever heard about salmonella is chicken. Meat. I know, right? Right? And then recently, like, my family got tortoises, and then they, the pet store owner told us to wash our hands because tortoises and turtles carry salmonella, which I never knew. Salmonella's deadly. I'm constantly hearing of recalls from the FDA because food was contaminated with salmonella. It's a big deal. So random. Like, how did they get their hands on salmonella? Found a, f a rare form of it. They just went to a lab and said, hey, or did they get a piece of meat and went... Hey, we're going to rub this shit on they everything. They probably stole it. I so think I remember weird. reading that they stole it. So anyways, so since the the doorknob thing didn't work, they then went to several local restaurants and found salad bars at buffets. And you know, salads, they are cold, meaning there is no way that the salmonella is going to be cooked out of it. So they decided to spray the salads with salmonella. It ended up getting 700 people sick. Not the salad bar. Come on. <laughs> you vegetarians, watch out. Hurts my soul, man. <laughs> it's one good thing we have going for us. <laughs> no one died, fortunately. And the cult members were eventually arrested. Good. And then we move on to the infamous Jonestown. 
where in 1978, the cult committed mass murder-suicide, leading to 900 dead Americans, many of which were children. The deaths came at the urging of their leader, the Reverend Jim Jones, who told them to drink poison, slash told, slash forcibly made them drink poison. What was the name of this cult? Jonestown. That That's just their... They're in Jonestown, and they're called Jonestown. Mm-hmm. Original. So... This case brought the, about the famous saying, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Ah, yes, yes. Last but not least, a modern poisoning associated with the cult. So, throughout the pandemic, there was this uh, little cult named Love Has Won, with their leader being Amy Carlson. And she believed that she was the reincarnation of Marilyn Monroe, Joan of Arc, Jesus Christ, and later the Hawaiian god Pele, white woman, believing she was the Hawaiian god Pele. That's an interesting resume of reincarnations. So she, of course, moved to Hawaii briefly so that she could really dig into the whole reincarnation of a Hawaiian god and very quickly infuriated the town folk and was kicked out. I mean, I'd do that too. Get out of my town, you psycho! <laughs> she would then eventually settle in Moffat. I don't know how to pronounce that. Moffat, Colorado, mm. where she then became ill and then disappeared. Officers would later find that her worshippers had kept her mummified corpse in their shared home, wrapped in Christmas lights, face covered in glitter, and the eyes missing. And what authorities stated was a makeshift shrine. Officers would later conclude that Carlson had died after ingesting large amounts of colonial silver, which the group claimed was a cure for COVID-19. And this very well may have played a part in her death. Her last picture showed Carlson emaciated in the color purple, which was attributed to the silver. Just... Wow. I mean, you kind of had me going there with the Christmas lights and, like, the glitter. Sure, it's that's fun. Then the missing eyeballs. What happened to those eyeballs, man? And being purple? Well, I mean, she's dead. I guess t- typical people would be bluish. Purple? She was, like, purple all the way through. You can see pictures of her. That's disturbing. We'll post pictures on our Instagram. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we have to see it, we want you to see it, too. So now let's talk about accidental poisonings in history, right? There's a couple of famous um, historical periods, the Victorian and the Edwardian times, that were infamous for these accidental poisonings. Going back to the 19th and 20th century, the Victorian and Edwardian times, people accidentally poisoned themselves with seemingly innocent products laced with known poisons today. I think I remember reading one of the problems was that no products back then had listed ingredients. 
So you literally had no idea what you were putting on your face to make you look pretty to impress Jim down the street. Because you needed a man to survive. Because that's just what life was like for women back then. It sucked. It sucked, man. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, the reason why, a, a good motto to live by, the reason why everything exists, and especially warning labels, is because somebody's done it. Mm -hmm. Somebody's already done it. And there's that guy. And that's why we have it today. Please go into detail. <laughs> for instance, in Edwardian times, beauty products became popular for women to liven their looks, in which makers added poisonous ingredients to make their items more desirable. An example, boric acid used to purify milk or removing the sour taste and smell from expiring milk. Yum. Yum. <laughs> and then also in Victorian times, many face powders contained arsenic to create the fashionable white complexion. The oh-so-desirable complexion. Hair products also often contained uh, lead and combustible kerosene. Mm -hmm. Fun facts. Another curious product was belladonna drops placed in the eyes to make the pupils dilate. Means to signify desire, therefore making the women more attractive. The unintended side effect, though, could lead to blindness. Around this time is also when murders from poison rose and men pushed for regulations, believing their wives were aching to murder their husbands to be free and marry widows. Which is not a far off assumption, in my opinion. I'm just saying, if you're giving me issues and I've been working and busting my butt at home, and then you come and beat my butt because, oh, I didn't have dinner on the table, and oh, I didn't just sprawl out in front of you and was ready for service, I will poison your ass. Let somebody find you. <laughs> well, women weren't, you know, or ha women didn't have any way to make their own income or their own livelihood True. unless you just happen to inherit an entire be free from poverty card from your family which you, you could had to rely on your husband to but support if you're widowed you. now you have exactly. his inheritance <laughs> which is why men believed why wouldn't a woman murder her husband if she could uh-huh why wouldn't she why would she put up with a guy like when she could just be Free and apparently the only way for a woman to be free is to murder her husband. And poisons back then were apparently widely available. Yes, because it was for rats. Who's going to question you? And more difficult to trace. Exactly. Who's going to question you if you buy, you know, three gallons of arsenic for rats, and then your husband mysteriously ends up dead the next day? This is not to say try this at home, folks. Do not try this at home. You will be found. But I would question if your wife was making you tea and she never makes you tea and the tea seems weird or tastes off and you happen to have done something to piss her off a couple days before. Maybe it's time to apologize or get out. As fast as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would definitely say that there's been so many stories where women have slowly poisoned their significant others over time. And it finally ca catches up to them and they die. In modern times, I believe antifreeze was a big uh, poisoning agent popular Ooh. among women. Oh, that's fun. You know, in terms of murder versus suicide... Women are more likely to choose a less aggressive way to commit suicide 
But if they were to murder someone, I believe they're more likely to use things like poison instead of violence. Oh, definitely. It's an easier option. And you don't have to be faced with the the gruesome brutality of having to, like, actually murder somebody with your own hands. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can get that. We do not condone. We do not condone this. Do we not just... murder your husbands. No. Do not murder someone. You're not going to get away with it. You're not. There's lots of technology to trace poisons in the system and the first suspect is always the significant other always always and it's usually they're usually always the perpetrator it's <sighs> always the husband it's always the wife the boyfriend the girlfriend the ex-boyfriend the ex-husband i will say though if you have a more of a fascination with poisons because poison poisonous items are also used in modern day medications as well to combat other poisons. Uh, so that's a really fascinating topic. And if you are interested, there's a really good book that's also in audio form. It's called um, Poisons from Hemlock to Botox and the Killer Bean Calabar. And it's by Peter McKinnis. Hmm. Currently going through that right now. It's really fascinating. I think some parts drone a little bit, but overall I I've been enjoying it. So I think it's time to wrap this up. Yes. The big takeaway from today's episode is to briefly look at the roles that poison played in human history and to remember that poison is a terrible way to go. Like, if you really, really hate somebody, poison is the worst way to off somebody since it doesn't kill them immediately. It makes them suffer for a very long time. And you'll pray for death. Fun fact! Your hair can retain history of poisonings in your system. Scientists can figure out when you were poisoned based on how long your hair is, and then they can see how, like, the time periods when you were dosed, like, on that hair strand. Ooh. This is, of course, dependent on the uh, poison. That's interesting. But it has been many a subject on forensics files. It's very similar to drug testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it stays in the hair follicles. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's why our mission is to bring you the material and immaterial resources to help soothe some of your fears and grief about death. That's right. Hey guys, and thanks for listening as always. But don't forget to follow along for new episodes every Monday on all major podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Podcast Addict. If you enjoy listening, then please hit that subscribe button. If you have questions and want to pique your morbid curiosity, then visit our socials on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you want to contact us, you're always welcome to email us with questions, stories, and remarks at sweetprogressinc at gmail.com. Don't forget to stop by our merch store on Etsy. Grab some of that merch on your way out. Etsy shop is called Delicate Death. Until next time, stay alive! Stay alive.